I want to bring a message to you this morning entitled, The Climax of God's Law, Jesus Christ. The Climax of God's Law, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 9, has now finished his parenthetical teaching about God's sovereign election, which occurred in verses 6 to 29 of Romans 9. And he now returns in Romans chapter 9, verse 30, to the subject of Israel's unbelief, which he began to discuss in Romans 9, 1 to 5. This subject of Israel's unbelief, along with the salvation of the Gentiles, will occupy Paul's teaching from Romans 9.30 through chapter 11 of this wonderful epistle to the Romans. This, of course, constitutes a major theme in Romans, and it is therefore crucial for us to understand. Indeed, if I could break down this passage of Scripture, I would do so in the following ways. Romans 9:30 to 33 could be seen as Jewish and Gentile responses to God's saving righteousness. Romans 9, 30 to 33, Jewish and Gentile responses to God's saving righteousness. And then in chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, we see Jewish and all other self-righteous, self-righteous works in response to God's saving righteousness. Jewish and all other self-righteous responses to God's saving righteousness. Two very simple points coming to us from Romans 9.30 through chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. You listen to it as I read. What then shall we say? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness 
to everyone who believes. I want to talk first about Jewish and Gentile responses to God's saving righteousness. Contained there, as I mentioned, in verses 30 to 33. And in this portion of Romans 9, Paul is now returning to the question of the unbelief of Israel. Essentially turning, returning to the implied question of their unbelief when Paul began to discuss it in chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. You remember there, Paul began to ask some questions, or at least to make some statements. He says in Romans 9, verse 1, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. There are those, like Paul, who made the statement, as he does here, that Israel, during the time in which Paul lived, and frankly, all the way to the time of the day in which we live, are predominantly unbelievers. They reject Christ. And there are those in Paul's day, and there are those even in our day, who because of such a long-standing rejection of the message of Jesus Christ as seen in the gospel, would thus then ask the inevitable question, well then has God and His promises left the Jews? Is God going to continue to keep His promises? Even in verse 4 of Romans 9, Paul says they are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, from their very loins, according to the flesh, that is, according to humanity, is the Christ who is divine. God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Someone's going to come along, and they certainly did in Paul's day, and you and I might have even had discussions of those in our own day who would say, well, it's obvious that God has forsaken the Jews. He is not going to fulfill His promises because they've rejected Him. They've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God over all, blessed forever. He did come from the loins of those very patriarchs of Israel. And yet, because of this long-standing rejection of Him, God's given up on them. And that's why Paul says in verse 6, But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. He makes that declaration, God has not failed His promises. And then in verse 6b, all the way to verse 29, Paul, as it were, moves back the curtain to show that God has not only not rejected His people, the Jews, but that He has sovereignly elected them to salvation 
that is not based on any works that they do. It is based solely on the sovereign declaration of God that He will extend mercy upon whom He will have mercy and He will extend compassion on those whom He will have compassion. And it is not based on anything in a human being. And you remember that's precisely what Paul does here in verse 6b all the way through verse 29. Almost as a parenthetical answer to the question about whether or not God's word of promise has failed the Jews. The Jews did not understand, these Israelites, that God had not promised a salvation to every single last Israelite. It was never God's plan. Even in the Old Testament, as the Jews moved in and through their wilderness wanderings, and even as they moved into that promised land, there was not a promise of God that every single one of them would be delivered from their sins, spiritually speaking. And so, Paul answers that question. And when he does, he answers it powerfully, he answers it directly, And I dare say he answers it even mysteriously because he grounds the very salvation of those whom he has chosen among the Jews in his sovereign purposes. And he doesn't say anything in verse 6b all the way through verse 29 about faith. Doesn't say a single word about it. He grounds the very promises to Israel upon his sovereign declaration. In other words, he speaks of all things divine, all things sovereign, and yes, all things mysterious, because someone's going to immediately immediately say, but what about, but what about, and maybe even someone's going to say, but, but what about faith? What about This faith that they're supposed to have in their Messiah. And Paul doesn't shirk the question. He answers it, but he answers it in a most interesting way, beginning in Romans 9.30. He says this, What shall we say then? That Gentiles, not Jews, notice that, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. The first thing that Paul says here is a contrast with Israel by the Gentiles. He shows a contrast here. He shows that the Gentiles were not pursuing God's saving righteousness at all, but in the mercy of God, He brought His electing grace to them, and they understood that their righteousness could not come from within themselves. They understood by God graciously opening their eyes that in order to be right with God, they must turn away from themselves and turn to Christ. He is the only hope of their salvation. And in the kindness of God, our Savior, He showed this to them, and they attained God's saving righteousness. His sovereign election, their responsibility to believe, He chose them, they believed. 
And someone's going to immediately say, but that has absolutely nothing to do with the Jews. But it does have something to do with the Jews. And what it shows is this, that God has temporarily set aside the nation of Israel so that in His kind purposes, through His matchless grace, He would move in to the Gentile world and bring those whom He wants through faith in Jesus Christ so that they might receive God's saving righteousness. What a great thing. What a marvelous thing. God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to respond in that way. He could have only worked with one nation, that is, the nation of Israel. He could have rejected all other nations as pagans. He chose not to do that. He chose to extend His mercy beyond simply those Jews and whom He's going to have compassion. And He went to the Gentile world. And even, He says in verse 30, they were not pursuing righteousness. We know that, of course, because in the Gentile world, the pagan world, pagan is not a pejorative term. It simply means those of the earth, those who are in the natural realm, the natural dimension, those who do not have God's law, those who have not been entrusted with the oracles of God as the Jews were. And they were just walking their own path. They were doing their own thing. They weren't pursuing God's saving righteousness. And yet, in the magnanimous grace of God, they were going in one direction, not pursuing God's righteousness, and God turned them around. I love what it says in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, that the Thessalonians turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. God turned them around, made them repent, made these Gentiles, those pagan Thessalonians, see their sin, and they saw then their own lack of righteousness, and therefore they saw the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God's saving righteousness, and they turned to Jesus Christ from their idols to serve the living and true God. That's what Paul is essentially saying here. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. And when he mentions faith here, it's the first time he mentions it in Romans 9. It's not the first time he's mentioned it in Romans. It is the first time he's mentioned it in Romans 9. He has to ground the very relationship that we have with God, whether Jew or Gentile, not in faith, but in the sovereign counsel and predeterminate wisdom of God. And now, as he begins to talk about faith, he talks about Israel's unbelief. That's the theme of this section. In fact, it goes all the way through chapter 10, verse 21. And he says, I'm going to tell you now about faith, or it's negative unbelief. But the first thing he does is instead of talking about the theme of Israel's unbelief, for surely this is its theme, he starts first with the contrast of the Jews and their unbelief, and he talks about the saving righteousness of the Gentiles and how God has given them a righteousness that they could not attain on their own and for which they weren't even looking. A righteousness that is by faith. He grants 
saving faith to the Gentiles. And we'll find out later in this wonderful section of Romans 9, 10, and 11 how that provokes Israel, provokes them to jealousy. That's what God is using the Gentiles for. And so he says, by way of contrast, we might even say it this way, by way of irony. Isn't it ironic that these Jews are not doing something and the Gentiles not pursuing righteousness actually attained it, that is a righteousness by faith. Isn't that so ironic? Why is that so ironic? Because the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews were entrusted, he says, in verses 1 to 5, with the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the worship and the promises and the patriarchs and even Christ comes through them. I mean, you would think, folks, that the Jews would say, we have it all and as a result of having it all, we are of the most in the world to be blessed. We should respond to this Messiah. We should respond to Jesus Christ. He's coming from our line We are blessed. We have it all. We should submit to God Himself because He's blessed us so abundantly. But they don't. They're unbelieving. And in the wise and mysterious providence of a sovereign God, He says, I'm going to give it to the Gentiles who weren't pursuing their own righteousness, but a righteousness was granted to them by faith. Now notice the flip side of the contrast, verse 31. But, there's the contrast, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. Wow. The very ones who should have eschewed works, the very ones who should have rejected works as a basis for their right standing with God, the ones who had been given the law, the ones who had been given the glory, the ones who had been given the worship and the promises and the patriarchs and Christ should have said, works must play no part in this. We should respond to the ultimate in God's law bringing, and that is Christ. We should believe in Him. We should put our faith in Him. We should put our confidence in Him. He is the one to whom all of the law has been pointing. But they didn't. They rejected that very thing, the very thing that God had been pointing all along, the very thing that the Old Testament patriarchs, the very thing that Abraham himself, the very thing that Moses himself, the very thing that the prophets themselves had been pointing, the very thing that the whole of the Old Testament had been pointing, they rejected. And they went about to say that their right standing with God is based upon their works. Now, it may not be that they would totally reject the concept, of course, of Jesus as the Messiah, 
Maybe they rejected it wholeheartedly. Maybe some did. Maybe others said, no, it's Jesus plus something, i.e. our works. There were strands within Judaism. Certainly not every one of them believed exactly the same way at every turn. But the bottom line was, if they didn't entrust themselves by faith, solely by faith, in Jesus as the Messiah, presented to them through the gospel, and if there was even the smallest tinge of works to be placed into that transaction, they would reject. They would base even the smallest part of it on their works. And some of them, of course, like the legalistic Pharisees, would place virtually all of it on their works. They had pursued a law, Paul says, that would lead to righteousness, but they did not succeed in reaching that law. Some commentators have even said that that idea of pursuing and succeeding and reaching are those terms like an athlete in a race. And they were running, and they were running, and they were running. But in this case, they were running in and of themselves, in their own works. And they were running and running and running. And they ran right past the finish line. Christ. They didn't attain it. Over against the Gentiles, who were not pursuing Jesus Christ, and yet were granted faith to believe in Christ. Boy, this is ironic. Those who would be working, the Gentiles, not for Christ, but for living in and of themselves for their own pleasure, had their eyes opened and they saw Christ for who He really is, and they placed their faith in Christ And all kinds of churches were sprouting up in the Mediterranean world because these Gentile believers were saying things like this. I see it. I see it. I see Christ. I see that He is the finish line. He's the end. He's the goal. I see it now. And the Jews who should have seen it, who should have responded to it, who were given every opportunity said no. Instead of pursuing it by faith, Paul says, they were pursuing it as if it were based on works. And I'm going to show you, a, a, I think, an ultimate example of this. Look in Luke chapter 18. This is, this is an amazing parallel to this very thing, illustratively speaking. Luke chapter 18. This is amazing. Look at verse 9. You want to talk about this uh, contrast between the Gentiles and the Pharisees, the legalistic Jews of Paul's day? Luke 18, 9. He also told this parable. Don't miss verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus said this, verse 10, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, that's the legalistic Jew, and the other a tax collector, that's the Gentile. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. And you can think of, in your mind, Romans 9, 1 to 5, 
as the Pharisee begins to recount what is in his heart. Because remember, they've been given the law, they've been given the worship, they've been given all of those things for which it should have pointed them outside of themselves to Christ. Instead, he says thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Always watch out for a prayer that begins that way. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Gentile world. See, they didn't have a law. Now, they had a conscience, but they would violate, of course, their conscience to do these things. They would lust after those things. And he says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this pagan, this Gentile, this tax collector. This is, this is his legalistic Abiding by certain laws, verse 12, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's, that's precisely what's going on here in Romans 9. You, you've got a, a Gentile person who wasn't pursuing a righteous lifestyle and God broke into that heart, showed him his sin, and now he's beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He recognized in his own heart that he was a sinner. And what does Jesus say? Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house, what? Justified, declared right by God, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, that's, that's what's happening here. That's what Paul is saying. The, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith, like this publican, like this sinner, like this tax collector, like Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was going his own way. He was doing all of the things for which his pockets were being filled through extortion. And Jesus came to him and said, you, you follow me. Matthew responded. He responded to the divine call of Jesus Christ wasn't pursuing righteousness, but he attained a righteousness, a justification by faith. And what about that publican? Well, it's like Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. He said, I, I, I tithe, I do what I'm supposed to do, I pray. But he said, he told Certain ones, a parable, who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. And they did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if based on works. See the clear contrast? This was Paul. This was the Apostle Paul. He knows very well what's going on here. Look at Philippians chapter 3. This is, this is the, the Apostle Paul's own testimony here. 
Look out for the dogs, Philippians 3.2. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These who command law fulfillment for circumcision. For we are the real circumcision. And he's going to tell you what real circumcision means. That is, those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You see, the... They are those who do not trust in themselves that they are righteous. He says, but I'm going to tell you this. If I thought that righteousness, human righteousness, human law keeping was enough to get a person in, declared righteous by God, I far more. Listen to what he says, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anybody could boast, it's me. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence for boasting in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Notice this, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. Hey, look, if anybody's in, I'm in. And that was his mindset all the way up to the Damascus Road until God slammed him down and said, you, Paul, follow me. He says, verse 7, whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, it's not based on works. It's based on Christ. He says, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Here's these, here are these sweet words, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, now in Romans 9.30, Paul says, I'm going to talk to you about faith. And here it is. The Gentiles weren't pursuing it. God gave it to them, and they had a righteousness outside of themselves on the basis of faith, not works. And here are the Jews. They're unbelieving. They were pursuing the actual law of God to the degree that somehow in their minds they thought they could live it all out and stand before God one day and be acceptable to Him. And they didn't realize that what they were actually doing was not placing their faith in Jesus Christ, the ultimate end of the law, but in themselves. That's legalism. And that's what they were doing, as if it were based on works. And if the Jews of Paul's day have chosen their righteous, quote-unquote, works, they've therefore stumbled over what was obvious. Look at verses 32 and 33. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul says, you know, I can even quote you two passages conflated together Isaiah 28:16 and Isaiah 8:14 I can I can quote them 
all the way back to Isaiah's day that will say that Christ is for some a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and for others He is one in whom you believe, and if you do, you will never be put to shame. You say, well, did did the Jews of Paul's day really realize that this was Christ, the precious cornerstone? Yes. We even know outside the Bible in extra-biblical writings that many of the Jews in Jesus' own day and in Paul's own day would affirm that Jesus was the declared precious cornerstone. Yes. Predicted here and fulfilled in Jesus' own day and, of course, through the resurrection and through the ascension and through the apostolic preaching of the cross, these Jews should have known that Jesus is not the stone of stumbling. He's not the rock of offense. He's the one in whom you believe. And if you do, you'll never be disappointed. Never put to shame. I mean, way back in this day, they should have known those things, placed their faith in the stone. That is Christ. Instead, what did they do? They rejected it. They rejected the stone, and the stone became to them a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Think of it in your mind's eye, a stone of stumbling. They're walking along, they're pursuing their own righteousness, and when they come across the stone that is Jesus Christ, some of them even in the very midst of Christ, even in the very revelation of the teaching of Christ, even in the very person of Christ, who would do miracle after miracle after miracle, and they would say, I don't believe. I reject that. And even in those days, Jews being hostile to Christ. So much so that they put Him on the cross. A stone of stumbling. I'd say that's unbelief. That is clear unbelief. Their their eyes are blind to the truth. Oh, but Paul quotes Isaiah to say, whoever believes in Him shall not be put to shame. And who is that? Gentiles. They believe in Christ. They see the truth. Their eyes are open. They were going their own way. They were living it up. Partying hardy. Jesus Christ confronts them in the gospel. And He, that is that Gentile, believes. He repents He turns to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Isn't it like today? There are people today who, like the Gentiles of old, are not acquainted with God's law, aren't acquainted with the book of God. I even heard from one of the reports of our student ministries folks going into the detention center where they were sharing the gospel with this one young man who maybe apart from the cursing name of somebody using Jesus' name, had never, ever heard or understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never even heard it. Didn't, didn't even know the gospel. Didn't even understand it. Had never been acquainted with it. That's like a Gentile who's just going his own way. 
and someone in the form of a gospel witnesser comes to them, shares the gospel message with someone like that, and God in His marvelous mercy grants faith, repentance, and that person then goes in a direction and is granted the saving righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. And what of someone today who, for which that blinding is still on their eyes and they hear the same message and they're confronted with the same gospel and they say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. And even will become offended by Christ. It's because Christ to them is a rock of offense, a stumbling stone. And you realize that even the Gentiles, even ourselves, even today, have been taken up as those who have received this precious cornerstone. First Peter chapter 2, just listen to it. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, same quotation, same passage in Isaiah, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. There's the contrast. There it is, right there. And even those passages which were promised to the Jews, God even brings in Gentile unbelievers and makes them spiritual stones, building up a spiritual house acceptable to God through Christ by faith. Wow. That's Jewish and Gentile responses to God's saving righteousness. And... According to our second outline point, there are other self-righteous responses like these, these Jews and all other people. Notice chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now he's going to develop exactly what's going on for being ignorant these Jews, for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, remember that Luke 18 passage, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And Paul goes right back to where he was in Romans 9 and he says, I'm in great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And he says here in chapter 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And you know, Paul had every opportunity to say, Look, I'm the apostle sent to the Gentiles. Those guys have been persecuting me. They've been dogging my steps. They've been trying to kill me. According to Acts, they even had a pact among themselves that they wouldn't even eat or drink until I, Paul, was dead. Look, forget those guys. Forget them. I'm going to the Gentiles. Said, he says, I just 
unceasing anguish in my heart for them. I want them to be saved. I want them to be delivered. He says in verse 2, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. He's not questioning their zeal. Remember what he said about himself in Philippians 3? Zealous. But he says not according to knowledge. Not not according to real experiential knowledge. Then he says, for being ignorant. Agnaeo, agnostic. For being ignorant, not knowing the righteousness that comes from God. That's God's saving righteousness. And not only that, seeking to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit, hupotasso. They did not line up underneath the righteousness of God. You say, ah, I can see now. And you'd be right. Human responsibility. That's what that says right there. That's human responsibility. They were ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. You say, well, ignorance, that's... That's not enough. No, this is a, an acquired ignorance and a lived-out ignorance. Even Paul says about himself, I acted ignorantly in unbelief, but I was shown mercy. They did not pursue God's true righteousness, and they went out trying to establish, trying to seek their own righteousness. They knew what it was. They'd been given it all. They knew it. But they didn't submit to it. This is human responsibility. This is sinfulness. They should have done what was right. Oh, I say to us as we close today, don't. Don't under any circumstances be like the Jews of yesteryear and today. Don't. Be like any past or even present Gentile, a pagan person, an unbeliever who might even themselves have heard the gospel message, been in church, and who would go right out and and seek to establish their own righteousness. Here's the standard. It's the standard of God's Word. Here's the gospel. It's believing in Jesus Christ, in His death and His burial and His resurrection And affirming that God has raised him to the dead to be ascended to the Father so that he would one day come back to judge the living and the dead. And you are commanded to believe in him as God's only saving righteousness. And if you do so, you will be saved, delivered from your sins. And someone hears that gospel message and they turn right out of here and say, well, I sure hope my good works outweigh my bad. Or someone who says, well, I just don't think I'm that bad. Or someone who would say, are you sure about what you're preaching? Is it really Jesus being the only way? Aren't there other ways? Is God so exclusive? Are you absolutely sure about this? I mean, if you say this and it's not true, not only are a lot of people going to be upset, but you're messing with people's eternal destinies here. And all of those doubts creep in and someone says, well, maybe that's not entirely true. Oh, maybe it's true in some elements. And if it's not, I better do something. I better give. I better pray. I better read the Bible. I better go to church. I better do this or that. Or maybe if you 
are of the Jewish heritage, you would say, oh, I need to keep the Mosaic law. I need to be circumcised. I need to do all of these things. I need to be kosher. I need to live in such a way that I am pleasing and acceptable to God. And then when I come to my end, God will accept me. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, Paul says, if you develop a righteousness that is not God's righteousness and you seek to establish your own and you don't submit, line up underneath God's righteousness, you cannot, according to verse 1, be saved, cannot be delivered. I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can have a zeal for God. And if it isn't based on knowledge, and if you have a suppressing ignorance of the righteousness that comes from God, and if you seek to establish your own righteousness, whatever standard it may be, and if you don't submit to God's righteousness, you'll be damned, condemned. But, Romans 10.4, this is the fulcrum upon which this entire theme rests. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. For every Jewish person who was doing righteous deeds should have seen Christ at the finish line. Should have run and grabbed the tape. And said, it's Christ. Of course, all of these works that I were doing, all of this running the race, I should have seen Christ. Oh, I should have seen it. Yes, there it is. And you know, if there's any individual Jewish person today, as I said, God didn't choose every single Jew just because they were a Jew. But it certainly is true that God has chosen some of them and there is a remnant. And even in our day, there are Jewish people who are coming to faith in Christ, praise God. And you know why? Because they see Christ. Because they placed their faith in Messiah. And the plan of God is for them. Maybe it's small. Maybe it's still a remnant. Maybe that's true about today. And maybe it's true that God having placed the nation itself aside for now, even though he, he may be saving some of them, has opened up the whole of the nations for Gentiles, for us. If you're sitting there today and you're a Gentile, you're a non-Jewish person, and you're seeking to establish something of your own righteousness, you better lay that aside. Don't, rant, don't run past the tape. Don't run past Christ. Christ is the end of the law for the attaining of righteousness, His righteousness to everyone who believes. Jew or Gentile, everyone. That's the gospel. And I think it's appropriate to ask this question as we close. Upon upon the basis of which righteousness are you trusting? Your own? Anything you're doing, any kind of works, however small or large, it's not going to get you there. 
Are you placing your confidence in the establishment of your own self-righteousness? Whether you're, you're talking about a Jewish self-righteousness or a Gentile self-righteousness, whatever it is, either like in Paul's day or in our own day, don't trust in anything other than the righteousness of Christ because He's the end. He's the goal. He's the one for which it all points, every bit of it. He's the end of the law. And if you ever have hope to have a righteousness, it must be the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ, it's because God has granted it to you and you repent and believe and you see Christ as the true finish line. Don't stumble over this precious cornerstone. Don't stumble. It's an honor for us to believe. Believe in Christ right now. Let's pray. Father, if we believe, it's because you are gracious to us. So gracious. Oh, I pray, Father, that no one is here today, Jew or Gentile, who's seeking to establish somehow their own righteousness. It won't get them to the finish line. Lord, I pray that you would cause anyone here who is unbelieving, who is ignorant in unbelief, who's seeking their own righteousness, to have their eyes open to see that Christ is the end. He's the, he's the finish line. And I pray that you would open up to everyone repentance and faith so that they might believe, even today. Lord, don't let the youngest person, don't let the oldest person and everyone in between leave this place without understanding that their own human works human righteousness will fail them on the day of judgment. Grant them your saving righteousness in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.